This program is a production of the Reformed Forum, an organization devoted to producing and distributing Reformed theological content for a connected age. Online at reformedforum.org. Welcome to Historia Ecclesia, brief looks at issues in church history. My name is Camden Busey. This is episode number 19. And uh, Jeff and I are in studio for another episode. We were today, uh, last time, we spoke about uh, right reason and uh, Francis Turretin's own particular influence and his particular view on the subject. Uh, today, we want to go back uh, to issues of the early church, speak about one of the early councils, which is the, the Council of Chalcedon in 451, and speak about one of the doctrines that it helped uh, define and solidify, which is known as the hypostatic union. Uh, an important and critical uh, part of an Orthodox Christology. We'll speak about that today and some of the uh, the insights of several theologians uh, of the past and of recent memory. Uh, Jeff, uh, maybe you can rehearse a little for our listeners some of the major early councils. Uh, what were some of the earlier councils uh, in the ancient church and what were some of the, the key figures and, and uh, features of those councils? Right, okay, again, going from memory. So. Maybe just the three big ones we got. Well, you've got... Uh, uh, okay. We can start with Nicaea. Nicaea, Constantinople, and Chalcedon. Yeah, there's Ephesus, which I, is in there too. Ephesus, but that's right. but we'll, we'll, you, Nicaea was in 325. What were some of the key features of uh, the Council of uh, Nicaea? Nicaea is dealing with, okay. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be grilled at this. Uh, okay. Uh, Arianism? Yeah. Exactly, uh, and and the fact that Jesus is uh, one of one substance with the Father. Yes, right? the Arians. Uh, Arius was a uh, heretic. He was a heretic, and uh, heretic, he would say that yes. there was a time in which the Son was not. Not that's and, right. And so the Son, although being the greatest of all beings or creatures, was still uh, a creature. he affirmed that he was still a creature. Still a creature. There was a time right. when the Son did not exist, and. Uh, me, you know the the early church you got to remember is dealing with a lot of very basic doctrines and trying to formulate and fashion what orthodoxy is Correct. trying to set up the the boundaries beyond which the orthodox must not cross Correct. so the, one of the first things that needed to be established is who Jesus, Jesus was, was and what's his relationship to the father the spirit comes later because uh it just did in history they they aren't dealing with issues of pneumatology quite yet right. but once you settle uh, one could argue that the uh, the key to settling the divinity of the Holy Spirit is the divinity of Christ. Once you nail down the one, you tend to to have nailed down the other. You you do. It doesn't uh, have to be that way methodologically because all three are are the same in right, substance. But historically, right? But historically, historically, that's what is, that is what has happened. And 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 some have argued uh, that that the systematic theology, the Loki of systematics follow the historical progression of the church's wrestling with doctrinal issues. Sure. So that it's theology and then Christology, then pneumatology. Right. And we're still working on, a, on ecclesiology, apparently, right. according to that paradigm. Yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> we're eschatology, if it always comes that last too. in these books. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, several years later, uh, in 381, the Council of Constantinople uh, was convened, and there were further hammering out issues of the Trinity, how Correct. the Father, Son, and Spirit relate to one another. Um, 
they formulated uh, the doctrine of perichoresis, correct? Which is the interpenetration. So the Cappadocian fathers yeah. were key to that uh, council, right? And Gregory the uh, Gregory Nazianzus, Nazianzus Gregory, Gregory Nyssa, Nyssa, and Basil the Great, right? And then along with uh, the fourth figure from Athanasius, Athanasius, those four men, according to Doctor Carl Truman, are the Led Zeppelin of the ancient church. <laughs> <laughs> and he he says so because there are four key figures that if you remove any single figure, the entire uh, group or the the strength of the group uh, falls apart. Falls apart. And so if you take out uh, Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, <laughs> or uh, John Bonham, Led Zeppelin cannot stand. And indeed, that's what happened in 1980 mm. or 81. Whenever John Bonham drank himself to death. Then, uh, um, the the actually what we call the Nicene Creed is actually the Niceno Constantinopolitan. Exactly, I was going to make Creed. that point. We often in churches, our church every other week uh, recites the Nicene Creed, which is similar to the Apostles' Creed. It's actually m- more explicit. I think yes. better. It's more, more trinitarian, more, more spelled out. It is, um, but it is not a creed that was devised at the Council of Nicaea alone. But no, it's it, further. It's yeah. uh, there's an earlier form. I don't know if we have that. If, if there's, not, we, we have a, a evidence of it, but what we call the Nicene Creed is the further elaboration, yeah. correction, revision. Yeah, but to, but to say, uh, you know, the people of God, let us now recite the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed of 381. Oh, that's a good way to trip over your tongue, isn't it? <laughs> not, not, a, not a good thing to do. Nicene uh, is simpler. <laughs> fast forward in history another approximately 70 years, uh, and we have the year 451, which is the Council of Chalcedon. So others will urge us uh, strongly to say Chalcedon. I'm going to say Chalcedon. So if, you, if you're upset with me, you know, tweet me, at, <laughs> at Camden Busey. Um, and uh, we're dealing with uh, more issues of Christology. Uh, what were some of the... The loopholes, I suppose, that were still open for people. Well, they, people were, they of course, were rest, wrestling with the, how Christ could be both divine and human in one person. Yeah. And you have uh, various, if I can remember this, various uh, heretical or erroneous forms of teaching. You have uh, Apollinarianism. And Apollinarianism, yes. Is, uh, you have Eutychianism. Eutychianism is that the person, Christ's nature, is basically taken over by uh, the divine, basically, then, it's not a full, per, a full right, what's human the third nature. One? The, the third uh, one, Nestorianism, Thank is you, that Nestorianism. Christ is two persons. Right. Apollinarianism is that he's um, uh, there's a blending of the two persons together. Right. And you'll actually you'll in the Chalcedonian formula you'll find therefore reference to all of those problems. Two natures together, I should say. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the the various elements that could be problematic. So what we have at the Council of uh, Chalcedon is uh, a further elaboration and a formulation of a creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, that is attempting to relate the human nature and the divine nature of Christ uh, to his how, person, to how, his the, person, how, they, how they relate. Yeah, how they relate. Are, do, uh, are there two persons? Is there a human person and a divine person? Or do both attributes just come together and merge into one so that we have a tertium quid? That's the danger of Apollinarianism. Um, the former being the danger of uh, Nestorianism. Or Eutychianism is, is basically, to my understanding, an assumption of a partial nature. Uh, yes. 
Um, so that the, so it's basically in a very crass way. It was taught to me in ancient church that the human there is a person, a human person out there that the divine chooses and in, not in a physical, but in some sort of at, attribute way, scoops some stuff out right. and pours the divine into it. Correct. It's a pre-existing and, and human. And that's why individual. you have what we the discussion of anhypostatic and then yeah. nhypostatic. Yeah, right? exactly. Distinction. Exactly. Is that the the the, the person of Jesus Christ is not a pre-existing person who gets right. gutted. Right. And then, you know, the Logos gets poured in, right. so to speak. Right. Uh, there's, there is no uh, human nature apart from... Being united, united hypothetically united. United to the divine nature. Now, this uh, occurred in 451. One of the key principal figures... Uh, in in furthering this debate and discussion and also interfacing it with metaphysics is uh, Thomas Aquinas, uh, who was a 13th century a scholastic. Uh, this is after the schism between East and West, but it's right. before the Reformation. So um, obviously there are elements of Thomas Aquinas that Reformed people have, have major issue with, but there are also many good parts of, of his theology, and yeah. I believe his Christology is, is very good. At many points, and especially his his use of tradition on this point, his use of Chalcedon at this point, and Thomas uh, is doing a lot of metaphysical inquiry and trying to discuss and, and and try to understand human personality and how it relates in a philosophical way to the world. But yet, when he comes to the person of Christ, he is very firmly planted in the Council of Chalcedon in its uh, in its creed. And he is not willing to go beyond those boundaries that that council set. And as such, he formulates and develops a Christology that is very orthodox. And that has been used uh, by many Reformed theologians of, of uh, more recent vintage, such as Bavink. Turretin quotes uh, Thomas in many points. Hodge quotes Thomas at many points. Uh, he's very helpful on many of these issues. Can you, can you unpack some of that for us there? Well, um, one of... The, he he is not willing to allow for the person or for a second person to be generated. For instance, uh, Thomas, for one, uh, takes a Boethian definition of personality that a person is an individual. Well, the way Boethius says it is a person is an individual substance of a rational nature. Um, I won't go into all the philosophical details of Thomas's metaphysic right. and supposits and hypostases yeah. and all these Boethius other things. Boethius comes from the, what year, six or 800? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, He's a transitional yeah. figure between Augustine the ancient, yeah, Augustine, between the ancient church and the medieval church. Right. He kind of falls in both sides. But um, Boethius define that definition of personality or human personality, which is abided for, for many, many years. Thomas espouses it. But um, to, to simplify matters, uh, Thomas is firmly in line with the Chalcedonian formula that states that Christ is one person with two natures, that when Christ is humiliated, when he descends to take on a human nature, that human nature is united to the person in such a way that they that the divine and the human natures are inseparable now and forevermore but yet um not mixed unmixed distinct distinct mm, that's an interesting formulation we've heard before <laughs> distinct yet inseparable right <laughs> and so the danger can be 
Christ could take on a human nature and then it it divinizes the human nature right. or the uh or the uh the divine nature is somehow hu- humanitized i guess yeah, is one that which would be i think the tendency of uh Moltmann and and others in the Lutheran tradition yeah or you get some elements of this in Karl Rahner when he speaks right. of the hypostatic union having a universal effect or um Universal metaphysical implications. Karl Barth for all of humanity. Right. Uh, yeah, Karl Barth's another, and they all have different takes on it, but they all have, um, unfortunately, poor Christologies at that point in our estimation. Um, but we have a union of the person or the union of the natures in the one person of Christ, and those natures are are full natures. Yes. There, there aren't any. There is not any truncation, uh, or, between, or mixture, or mixture. And remember uh, all the. These are not merely fi- nice philosophical speculations. The fathers right. understand that our salvation yes. is, is involved yes. in all of this. Now, how is that so important that Christ take to himself a human nature Well, and that, that it, nature be a full human goodness, nature? Goodness, that, that, I mean, they, because uh, what is not assumed is not healed. Yeah. That's the language of the early church, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot that could be said here. But clearly, Anselm's understanding of the atonement builds off of the Chalcedonian formula because he argued, you know, you remember Anselm in Curdeus Homo argues that uh, what only God can do, but only man should do, the God man did do. Yeah. And that's the, he can say that in understanding the atonement. Uh, because of the Chalcedonian formula hammered out 900, uh, no, make that more like seven or 800 years before him. Uh-huh. Uh, but the Chalcedonian formula's concern is, uh, uh, is with the integrity of the natures in the one person. Because if they combine, if they mix, you have a tertium quid. Right. That means third thing. Uh, that then then the third thing is neither God nor man. So what what can you do? Yeah. Uh, thinking of Anselm's dictum in Credeus Homo, uh, the divine nature is uh, necessary for several reasons, and the human nature is necessary because it's human nature that fell in Adam, in Eve, right? And so, in order to reverse the, the effects of the fall, another human being must be obedient. Right. Per Romans 5 uh, and Paul's language there. Uh, but, and so, Jesus has to be both fully human mm-hmm. in order to represent us. Right. And he has to be God so that his human obedience and sacrifice are acceptable because they have to be of infinite value. Mm-hmm. There's more that could be said about that, but that's at least partially what's behind uh, the thinking yeah. on the subject, I'm sure. Uh, but definitely, of course, they're dealing with the heresies of the you know Eutychianism, Nestorianism, and Apollinarianism, uh, and they're wanting to, to not turn Jesus into a schizophrenic freak. <laughs> right? I, I was just preaching this past Sunday about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and there you see his humanity yeah. shining through. And I said, well, it's it, it's similar to the divinity shining through on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
right? right? Uh, but Jesus had one person, two natures, and they and that includes and, two wills, a divine yes. will and a human and I, will. And I pointed that that's what you yeah. see in the garden, right? Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Right. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Right. So there's a distinction between the, the, the Father's will and the Son's will. But within the person of Christ, there's a distinction between the divine and the human will. That There's a heresy that denies yeah. this. It's called monothelitism. Yeah. And it was deemed a heresy in the right. early church. One will. One will. There's another, the monophysitism, so, one right. nature. Those Correct. are all coming from Greek words. Now, how do we relate the two natures to each other in terms of attributes? Um, we could speak uh, philosophically. We we could say things like Christ is uh, omniscient, but we yes. can also say Christ's knowledge is right. finite. Well, before before we, we, do we do need to address that, but before we get to that, one of the things that's interesting, I think, is that the the, the hypostatic union is a test case for the creator creature distinction. Oh, and and what we're saying is that the divine and the human cannot mix. Uh. You're familiar with the creator-creature distinction. Uh, God is the archetype. We are the ectype. And even in the person of Jesus Christ, that cannot be uh, contravened. Yeah. And isn't. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, in Scripture, very often uh, the attributes uh, of one element are applied to the whole person of Christ, Right. Or, or, you know, it's Paul in Acts chapter 20 talks about God shedding his blood for the mm-hmm. church, right? Well, how can God, who is not does not have a body, he's a spirit, right? How can he shed his blood? Well, the only way that can happen is through the hypostatic union mm-hmm. of the divine and human natures in the one person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think Calvin uses the language of proper and improper uh, language with regard to how we we talk about it, but you always want to remember, you can't in our distinctions uh, of the two natures. We want to remember it's one person, exactly. Uh, and of course, uh, we can't talk about this without bringing up the debate between the Reformed and the Lutherans over the Lord's Supper, right? right. And the ubiquity of Christ's body. Now, exactly. What we have here. Um often is spoken of as the communicatio idiomatum. Right, the communi- and that communication is, of com- properties or attributes. To the person. To the person. Now, what we have, now the Lutherans agree with this, but what we say is the, the attributes or properties, I'm using those identically. I know right. Thomistic scholars often make a, make a distinction, but I'm not. Uh, and the Reformed scholastics don't either, so right. I'm just following history here. That uh, you have you have attributes and properties of the divine nature, uh, omniscience, right. uh, eternality, uh, all these things, um, and those are ascribed to the person. So you could say Jesus Christ is omniscient. Well, give you an and ex- also yeah. on the on the human side of things, there are certain attributes of humanity created. Um, there's limited uh, knowledge. Imminent, yeah, exactly. Um, certain things. So those properties and attributes can also be ascribed to or spoken of the person, the which person is of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Well, let's give some biblical examples so that people sure. don't think we're being merely philosophically <laughs> no, no, speculative. Jesus says to the, to, to, the, to the Jewish leaders before Abraham was, I am. Right. 
That's the Jesus who was born on Christmas Day. You know, that's what we celebrate. Right. Celebrate is saying that he predates predates the incarnation. Exactly. Uh, Jesus also said he did not know the day or the hour of his return. Although apparently Harold Camping thought he did. Still does, I suppose. (laughs) October 21st. October 21st now. A spiritual (laughs) judgment, right? Uh, But anyway, so Christ is so the same person. Yeah. Uh, both uh, pre-existence, uh, an ontological statement, uh, and limited knowledge are predicated of the same person. Right. A human element, yes. limited knowledge, and a divine characteristic right. or attribute are attributed to the one person of Jesus Christ. And we argue that these are not in conflict. This, I'm sure the average Joe on the street would say those are contradictory. Which is it? Uh, and we say they're not because of the one person having two natures. Two natures that are uh, inseparable yet distinct. Right. Now, we, if you want to read someone who has wrestled with this issue of how it is that Jesus could say he didn't know the hour or the day or the hour of his return, but yet exhibited on other occasions supernatural knowledge, uh, how is that so? John Owen, and I forget where, but he talks about how the Holy Spirit... <laughs> one of <those> books. <laughs> yeah, one of his books, one of the, the 17 volumes, uh, not including the Hebrews commentary, uh, uh, somewhere in there, talks about the Holy Spirit being the bond of the two natures. Yeah. And, and it's the Holy Spirit who takes from the divine and reveals to the human. Yeah. Uh, that's one way of understanding... Uh, how the two natures uh, are united. Now, moving things over back to the Lutheran discussion, they also uh, perform what has been called a communicatio naturarum, communication to the natures, where they will let properties, as it were, be borrowed or moved from, from not one just nature. from nature to person, but from nature to nature. Nature, correct. And how does this come into play in the Lord's Supper? Well, because... Uh, Remember the three understanding, the three basic understanding. Actually, there's four, I guess, basic understandings of the Lord's Supper. There's transubstantiation, which is the traditional Roman Catholic understanding that when the bell rings and the priest pronounces the blessing over the bread and wine, they become the body and blood of Christ. Then there's the Zwinglian view, which is where nothing happens and it's just a spiritual remembrance of Christ's death on the cross. There's the uh, Calvinistic view, which is that uh, when the believer by faith partakes of the bread and the wine, uh, he or she is spiritually by faith feeding upon the body of bread and, and the body and blood of Christ by faith spiritually. Uh, the, the Lutheran view, sometimes called consubstantiation, right. although they Con sometimes means with right. In, yes, in the they they sometimes prefer the term real presence, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Well, we believe. Well, the reformed well, we, believe in we a real call presence. Spiritual, real, spiritually real presence. <laughs> I said uh, that when I was licensed, I would say I was asked, you know, what what's the difference between my view on the sacraments and the and the Catholic, and and then I offered my views on the Lutheran. And I said I believe there's a real yet spiritual right presence. That's the difference uh, for uh, Luther and Lutherans. There's a real and physical, and it becomes possible, at least in their conception, by this idea that properties of the human nature can be ascribed uh, to the divine correct. or so what or vice happens versa. is Christ's physical body 
is located everywhere, which ubiquitous. is what ubiquity means. Yeah. Ubiquity means everywhere. Right. And so the Reformed say, well, hold it. A body, by definition, is limited in time and space and therefore yeah. can't be everywhere. Christ's physical body is at the right hand of the Father in yeah. glory, yeah. Is, the, is the traditional Reformed response. Uh, and so we deny the uh, communication of attributes to one From another. From nature to nature. Right, yeah. From nature to nature. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, that, that whole discussion relates, uh, well, there, it also relates to the what's called the extra-Calvinisticum. Could you explain that before we, we sign off on this subject? Because well, the extra-Calvinisticum, more rightly, should be called the extra-Catholicum, because you can find it in Athanasius' De Incarnatione Dei, on the Incarnation of God. And that is the idea that the Son of God is not... Uh, shrunken down to the size of the, the of the person of Jesus, the physical body of Jesus Christ. In other words, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, the Son of God is still upholding the universe in existence. Uh, again, this this is not a view unique to uh, Calvin or yeah. Calvinism. It goes back to the early church, but the Lutherans in their debates with the Reformed. At this is when it became most, most right. localized. And it vocal. became associated yeah. with, with the Reformed view of the understanding of the, the person uh, of the, and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That the Son of God is not restricted yeah. to the, the physical body of Jesus Christ. I see. Well, Jeff, this is another interesting discussion. The hypostatic union, of course, uh, deriving uh, most... Basically, uh, we we might say, or most locally and most explicitly from the Council of Chalcedon Correct. in 451. Uh, many great books on this subject. Uh, maybe I'll, I will attempt to put some in the show notes. Uh, you can think about some of these issues. Uh, but a key element of Christology, not only back in the 5th century, but also today, it, it, it never ceases to be important, especially um, as the... Uh, more and more people come up with odd views and, and aberrant views of the atonement and, and, and also Christology. We need to be on our toes and right. uh, well-equipped to to encounter these uh, unorthodox views. So uh, you can visit us online at reformedforum.org, and we have other resources and information about Christology and other issues in theology there. Uh, if you'd like to get a hold of us, you can email us at mail at reformedforum.org, or you can Twitter Jeff and I. Jeff is at RevJW, that's Reverend Jeff Waddington, and I am at Camden Busey. I want to thank everybody for listening and watching. We hope that you join us again next time on Historia Ecclesia. <laughs>